Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The show goes on. It's the official show with Eli Sussman covering your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Thanks for subscribing to Fish Track wherever you get your podcasts. We'll throw this particular episode up on YouTube as well. So people wanted to cover this mega trade from all angles. Our Fish Track staff has dedicated a lot of time and a lot of brain cells to breaking down the spicy trade between the Marlins and the Minnesota Twins. But I didn't think we can grasp all the consequences without speaking at length to somebody on the other side of this blockbuster. That's why I'm thrilled to welcome on Ted Swetzler of Twins Daily to the show. Let's get after it, Ted. How are you? Good. Thanks to uh, you for having me on. It's interesting to link up um, through a trade, but it seems like it's kind of been in the works for a while, and it was, I don't know, interesting or exciting to see it come through. Right. I mean, I was able to see going back all the way probably to the winter meetings. I saw reporting from you about the possibility of this happening. So you, I, at the end result, you're not totally caught by surprise. And frankly, from the Marlins perspective, this was a fit that we also speculated could come together for quite a while. And it finally did uh, here in, in mid-January. And now we're late January. Uh, right before that, that's going to be the main course of the podcast. Is we're going to go into this trade from all angles. But as an appetizer, just for a few minutes, we'll look at this stud. Former Twins pitcher, Devin Smetzler, no relation to you, just like the last name. <laughs> and he was just officially, as we're recording this on Wednesday, officially announced today as one of the Marlins non-roster invitees to spring training. But he had been parts of five seasons in the Twins organization, a lot of that at the major league level. And uh, I thought you'd be able to give us a pretty good just summary about what his Twins career was like and just some general background info on this guy that will get a pretty solid chance to make the team out of spring training. Yeah, Devin and I actually have grown decently um, close over the last handful of years and just getting to know him. It, it was interesting. I believe, if I remember right, he was acquired in the Brian Dozier trade with the Dodgers. Um, and originally that was kind of constructed from the Twins' perspective uh, way back when Cody Bellinger was still a prospect, Walker Buehler was still a prospect, and Brian Dozier had come off of the 41 or whatever home run season that he had with Minnesota. So they were really pushing for one of those two. Um, the big name from the Dodgers that they wanted to give up was Jose De Leon, who surprisingly enough is now actually a non-roster invitee for the Twins this year. Um, but it was, I believe, Smeltzer – uh, Logan Forsyth and um, the name escapes me, but he played Luke Rayleigh. Um, he played for the the Rays, I believe, a little bit last year. Um, that came over for um, Dozier and Smeltzer started like obviously um, in the minors for the Twins. Lefty, um, he's not a high velocity guy, and he's not one that will um, claim to try to be that either. He's a very old school type pitcher in that 
Um, he really embraces what he does um, on the mound. He's a guy that believes as his starts go on, um, he definitely gets better later in the game, gets warmed up, gets more acclimated to the lineup turning over. Devin Smeltzer can't say he's really settled down because he probably didn't deserve the fate giving up a run in the first inning in the first place, but he's mowing the Guardians down. Another really good outing for Devin Smeltzer. We'll see if the lineup can get him some runs. He believes he can make it through a lineup, you know, two, three times. Big ground ball guy. Um, uses a decent amount of spin to try to um, generate weak contact, generate um, outs, and he's not afraid to use defense behind him at his best uh, with the Twins. It was when we had a, or have a full complement of outfielders. I mean, he's going to give up some unfortunate contact. Um, that's obviously going to be put in the air and have the ball um, go to the outfield. So having Byron Buxton out there, having Max Kepler out there, having Eddie Rosario out there at times, um, those are guys that can get, can get to the baseball, but he struggled a little bit when that outfield was in flux. The twins infield defense has actually been problematic for probably two, three years now. Um, and that's not something that obviously benefits a ground ball guy too much either. So I know he was excited about this arise trade um, in that it takes a pitcher out of the Marlins rotation, gives him a little bit more clear shot to make an impact. Obviously you guys signed Johnny Cueto, but you have a, I believe he's on a one-year deal. Is that correct? It's one year and a club option for Cueto. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, that might be like a veteran holdover type. He's obviously not going to push the likes of like Edward Cabrera or Lizardo or so someone like that out of the rotation, but he's a guy that probably could make a handful of spot starts. And last year he could have been, or probably should have been in the twins bullpen for a significant stretch working as a long man. So there's definitely a big league arm there. It's just, how do you use him? How do you utilize him? And how do you figure out that best fit? Um, he's a, I, I believe him and his wife live in Florida as well. So I know he's ecstatic to be in Miami as opposed to, I mean, we're dealing with snow right now. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, he, he did mention that, uh, I think on Instagram this morning is when he made it official. And he, he did say that as somebody that is already very familiar with Florida, that he appreciated that convenience that people watching on YouTube, they can see that the pitch to contact is kind of a necessity for somebody that just wasn't missing bats at all last year. But aside from that high 80s fastball, he has a pretty deep pitch mix. And I probably would speculate this far in advance. I think the most likely fit would be as a long man out of the pen. The Marlins have an unusually, um, what is their schedule coming out of the regular season is very heavy, uh, which is unusual. I think it's like 29 games in 32 days to begin the season in late March early April, throughout April, very few off days. And he, they don't really have a traditional long man on their 40-man roster right now. So that might be his fit if he does make a team at a camp. And I think I saw that he was a, he was a childhood cancer survivor, and that, that's something he's still very um, adamant about in terms of fundraising and looking out for kids in the situation that he was in growing up. Did you hear anything about that when he was? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a he's a big advocate, big um, 
outwardly spoken about that. I can't remember. I, I want to say the like strikeout cancer, the K cancer shirts or whatever are not. I, I don't think that's his foundation. It may be, um, but it's definitely something that ran through the twins clubhouse. Lots of players sh- showed their support for him. Um, that was a, that was a big part of who he is and who he continues to be. He was great in the community with those initiatives. He would um, meet with kids going through childhood cancer. Um, two guys that come to mind every single time you talk about, um, I don't know, I guess healthcare initiatives or things like that are always Devin Smeltzer. And then Randy Dobnak is huge with St. Jude as well. But yeah, Devin is a great guy. Um, and definitely wears those um, hurdles that he experienced and overcame as a kid on his sleeve that, you know, anything I experienced on a baseball diamond is not going to be close to what I've dealt with in life. Big stirrups guy as well, too. I saw that. I did see that. He looked nice in the teal stirrups. I did see that when I was looking back on some of his pitching recently. So that's just one of 27 non-roster invitees in, in Marlins camp. But as I said, I think he's going to be pretty high up the hierarchy in terms of guys that actually have a chance to make the team make an impact uh, during the season. But from there, we're going to go into this big trade that just went down officially this past Friday. Luis Arise, Marlins sending a three-player package, Pablo Lopez, Jose Salas, Byron Churio to Minnesota. And I want to start with Arise. As everybody knows, the first phrase out of the mouth with Arise is he's the reigning AL batting champion, and he was in contention for that in previous seasons as well. He's projected to continue to contend for that pretty much uh, as long as he's in the big leagues. He's just such a unique offensive player. With him, uh, because he was developed by the Twins from the beginning, he's been in the organization for like nine years. Uh, I'm sure you know him very thoroughly. And I wanted to start from the beginning. He Ever since signing, he signed for, I think, $40,000 out of Venezuela, which is a really modest signing bonus for prospects. But he's been a hits machine all the way up through the minors. I'm wondering, when did you begin to take notice of him as somebody that could be a legit big league contributor? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, um, he's in the same, I guess, vein as... Uh, Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco and and maybe even Buxton and Sano too, just from a kind of came up with those guys. And he never had the fanfare, obviously, as as some of them, because he didn't have that big um, signing bonus. He wasn't a flashy player by any means. Um, But and then I believe it was 2017 or 2018 too. um, Jorge Polanco got called up to make his debut, I think from like low a uh, Fort Myers. And it was around that time too, that Arias was kind of starting to establish. Actually, it was probably even before that, but um, trying to, or starting to establish himself as a, on the farm as a hitter. And that's really what he's consistently done his whole career. Obviously you're seeing that now with the, the batting champion, his rookie year, I think he hit 336 or something like that. He had a, he had a higher batting average his rookie year, but if there's a tool in baseball that you do extremely well, why not it be hitting? Um, as a as a prospect and being on prospect lists and being highly coveted, he's never really fell into that for the Twins alongside maybe a Buxton or a Snow because he didn't have the power. He's not a huge defensive guy. He's not a super speedy guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the bat was – always amazing and I don't I would imagine I don't know what the Marlins have kind of highlighted as 
um, his calling cards and whatnot media wise or sharing um, since they've acquired him. But for twins fans, it was basically the at bat. I can't remember if it, I want to say it was 2018, 2019. He came in off the bench and faced Edwin Diaz. And I believe it was like a 13 or 14 pitch at bat and then ended up singling. And it was late in the game. And it was like, this guy just came in cold facing one of the best relievers, closers in baseball and beat him. And from that point forward, he's not um, as big of a tight strike zone guy as you might like to see he does expand a little bit but he doesn't miss there's just no swing and miss in his game at all um and, and i mean you see that here on his savant rankings too i mean his whiff rate is absolutely insane yes he will chase the ball a little bit but if he's chasing he knows he's going to put it in play somewhere he's a guy that as much as and, and you can look at his spray chart as well as much as the shift is now going away it's always been weird to see teams shift him because he'll put the ball wherever he wants to. There's really no reason to shift him. And his goal is never to get a double or to launch a homer. That's just not his game. So, I mean, it's absolutely tough to lose a player like that, but I think it's a very um, true situation where you're, you're dealing with two sets of assets that benefits both clubs. And to get everybody up to speed, I'm sure they've done their own research by now, but even his slash line this past year, it was basically in line with his career slash line in four years with the Twins. This is what he's been doing. It, it 316 last year, is 314 the year before, somewhere between 20 and 25, 30% better than league average as an overall hitter, more walks than strikeouts, which is almost a dying breed of a type of hitter that's able to do that particular thing. And he was rewarded with not just a batting title, but an all-star selection, the AL Silver Slugger. He finished 13th in American League MVP voting. And what's remarkable, Ted, is that he's he's still only 25 years old. He turns 26 right after opening day. And you already mentioned it about the shift now going away moving forward. For whatever it's worth, I don't think he was shifted very often anyway. But now that it's going away and defenders have even fewer options with where to position themselves, a lot of hitters are going to benefit from that. What I'm wondering is, do you think it's fair to expect Arise to continue being the same type of productive player the next few years that he was during his Twins tenure? Is there any reason to worry, perhaps, about him slowing down for one reason or another? I don't think... I do think there's a little bit of an aspect to that, and I think that's why the Twins made him available at probably the height of his value. However... I don't think his skill set is ever going to diminish, or at least not any time in the foreseeable future. There's a lot of times that you throw names out there that are player comps for current guys, and you'll get pushback. Like, how could you compare that player to someone that was revolutionary? For for Twins fans and for people that watched Arise in Minnesota, the one that was consistent was Rod Carew. And Rod Carew threw that out there consistently. I mean, they are very, very similar players in that they just they just hit. And it's not necessarily for power. They get on base. They put the ball in play. And they, they find ways to not just generate outs. The one caveat that I think the Twins probably – have a little bit of hesitancy into the way he ages is that as the season has gone on both of the last two years, he has dealt with knee issues. 
last year, that was part of the reason that his average dropped down the stretch. He was really struggling running out of the box. He was struggling to put his normal swing on the ball. Um, I believe he did miss some time in 2021 and just sat out or I can't remember if he went on the injured list or not. Um, But at 24, 25, if he's got knee issues, I don't know what that is. It's never been necessarily reported as like arthritis or something that needs to be corrected more. So just the wear and tear of a season that probably isn't going to get better as he ages. Now he also can be in a position where he is not um, contributing on defense as significantly as he had to for the twins last year. I mean, he, he played first base for most of the year. He won a silver slugger as a first baseman and he never played that position before. So he was forced into a spot where, they basically had to have him out there on a daily basis or they had no one else just due to injuries and whatnot. So if his workload can be managed a little bit or his body can, I don't know, be worked on differently by a training, I I think, you know, that then calms some of those nerves, but that hitting prowess has been there since he was a teenager and it's continued to be there at the major league level. And there's no pitcher that scares this guy. Right. And that injury history was something that caught my attention, too. If you look at his past IL stints, one of them was called tendonitis. One of them was a knee strain, like nothing that raises a huge red flag. I I do think back when he was a minor leaguer, he may have actually torn his ACL. But that was that's now going back six or seven years from early in his pro baseball career. So more recently, it hasn't been anything that really jumps out at you. But as you mentioned, it was some substantial amount of missed time as recently as 2021 that kept him off the field. And for now, you know, the team is saying that they intend to use him primarily at second base. But as this year plays out, um, I guess he has the versatility to move around quite a bit as needs present themselves. And if physically it's more re- realistic for him to move to a less demanding position, but now we could go to the other side of the trade, what the Marlins are giving up here, which is really, um, as much as Arise is such a good fit for what the Marlins need as an offense-deficient organization, um, they gave up a lot. They gave up a ton to get Arise, at least in my opinion. And I'm wondering what you thought, well, at least what you may have heard about what other starting pitchers did the Twins pursue in the offseason before completing this deal to get Pablo Lopez. They waited pretty deep to finally get this deal done, but I'm sure they were looking at other free agents. They were looking at some trade targets. Do you think, do you feel that like Pablo was about as good as they could have done compared to some of the other alternatives that were out there for the twins? Yeah, I think so you deal with obviously a significant amount of a fan base too, when a guy is coming off of a batting title and he's as well-liked as Arias is, that you're going to have pushback regardless because of who you gave up. It's almost not going to matter who you got back. I don't know that in every way, the Twins have struggled forever in developing pitching and finding that ace and finding the frontline starter that can go win them playoff games. I mean, we haven't won a playoff game in 18 straight games um, going back to 2004. So it's it's been a problem. However, I don't know that Luis Arise or really anyone that the Twins wanted wanted to trade was going to net them a number two or even an ace um, type starter. They would have had to mortgage a lot to go get someone like that. And I think their goal has been to 
construct a rotation around number two, number three type starters, Sonny Gray, Tyler Molly, Pablo Lopez. That way you aren't running guys out there that maybe shouldn't be doing more than making a spot start. I mean, last year, Chris Archer and Dylan Bunny made a significant amount of starts for the twins. That's not ever going to be a tenable thing for a winning team. Um, Lopez to me, I think, represents a very safe floor um, for what they could have got or what they were targeting. I know Derek Falvey mentioned that um, the Twins had been interested in him for years. Um, I know that they had conversations around the trade deadline last year. Um, And as far as them waiting, um, I mean, obviously you're dealing with rumors and you're dealing with things being brought back and forth from both front offices or media or whatever. I know part of what I had reported or suggested and what had been told to me, the twins originally, or the the Marlins originally asked for Arias plus for Lopez. And so to swing it and, and wait or be patient to the point of getting Lopez plus for Arias is quite the turnaround, especially I haven't dug in, deep enough yet to have a complete idea what solace is going to be in our system, but to get a prospect like that back on top of a major league pitcher, I think that they really focused in on Lopez thought that that's where they wanted to turn. Yes. There's probably other alternatives out there, but it was like I said earlier, it was such a good fit for both teams. The Marlins wanted hitting and our pitching rich. The twins needed a pitcher and if they believe in the prospects that were hurt last year or the young guys that were hurt, Arise becomes expendable. And as you were thinking about the possibility of this trade going down, as you suggested, uh, the, the idea that Salas might be involved in this kind of came out of nowhere. The fact that the Marlins would include a pretty substantial prospect in this kind of deal. When th- these teams are having negotiations, you're probably thinking at, in your head, maybe there's somebody else on the major league roster from the Marlins that might make sense in a larger deal. Uh, as you look at it now, as we approach spring training, um, and if you were the one that was like, like negotiating this, is there anybody else on the Marlins, like any major league ready player that you thought would have, in addition to Pablo, been a really good fit to build a complete twins roster? <sighs> I, I don't know where I stand with them needing to add more offense at this point. Now, after trading for Michael A. Taylor, I don't think he, he's not going to factor in a whole lot lineup wise. He's brought in as a fourth outfielder to beat Byron Buxton insurance essentially. And I mean, he's a great defensive fielder, but it has continued to seem since at least the end of the offseason, like the Twins would trade Max Kepler. And I thought in hearing how these trade talks had gone, there was some ask of the Twins trying to put Kepler in Arias' spot, which probably doesn't do enough for the Marlins. Um, I think that there's a division of understanding between how valuable Arias and Kepler are for Twins fans. Um, arises obviously younger, has more team control, that kind of thing. So that definitely helps his value. But the amount of value that Kepler has just as a defender, even though he's not, he's a league average hitter. There's, there's nothing exciting about his game that way. I thought, and I still don't think it's crazy, depending on what the Marlins are trying to do, 
Um, if the Twins wanted to add a major league type DH or some sort of right-handed thumper taking on money or whatever in the form of either Avisal Garcia or um, Jorge Soler and just flipping outfielders, Kepler gives them a more um, defensive ready or defensive excellent outfielder. Obviously, the bat may not be there, but with both Soler, you're dealing with a lack of health. And with Garcia, he's gone up and down over the course of his career as an offensive player, too. So I don't know whether the Marlins would value that. I don't know whether the Twins think they still need a right-handed bat. But I thought that that was a, an aspect that could have just made it a larger trade to swap outfielders. Right. There are two different players in Avi Garcia. There's the even year Garcia and there's the odd year Garcia. <laughs> yes. And last, last year they got the full even year experience and it was a mess. Uh, fingers crossed that things are going to go better. He, um, ever since the season ended, really before the season ended, he made a new commitment to his conditioning. Um, he really slimmed down after being noticeably overweight last year. Um, the first year of a big deal. Um, it, we're hoping that that the worst is behind him in that regard. And in terms of actually offloading him to another team, uh, that would have been difficult. So I, that would have been a, a big surprise if they were able to get somebody to work out something creative there in, involving him. But uh, yeah, for now, they seem locked in with him as a, their primary right fielder. I, I saw that on, on Twitter in the aftermath of this. You just described it as a great deal from the Twins' perspective. And I, I think you already touched on it a bit during this conversation. But if you could go into more specific as to why you think the Twins got a great value here and what do you think the fan base's overall reaction is, is uh, I'm sure it's a bit polarizing considering yeah. the profile that Arise had during his Twins years. Yeah, I think part of that is because, like I said, you, you can't completely vet out every rumor, but in trying to cover this over the past month or so and hearing so many other prospect names from the twin side potentially being involved, there were just certain names that that would have been a non-starter more than Arias for me, or at least from an evaluation standpoint. So to get Lopez plus something, and especially a usable prospect potentially in Solace, I mean, Churio is super young, that's a lottery ticket. There's not a whole lot to extrapolate there, but being able to, to get value and get value as a pitcher um, or from a pitching perspective in exchange for a rise, I think is just as, as a twins fan, I see their lineup and their roster construction lean so much more heavily towards being okay from a bat perspective that knowing where they were last year with pitching I mean, yes, losing a surefire leadoff guy, a guy that gets on base, a guy that's going to hit 300 just because he can is never going to be a great thing. But if you can get pitching when you haven't been able to spend on it, you've either missed out on free agents or you haven't been able to develop it or you haven't been able to necessarily make all of the trades you want. I think it's a great deal for the Twins. And if the Marlins were that um, focused on grabbing a hitter and an infielder, I think that's absolutely the type of uh, guy that they should have moved. I, I think there were plenty of Twins fans that would have preferred to see either Lizardo or Cabrera. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a Marlins fan, yeah, they might not be Pablo Lopez at this moment, 
but I think there's a lot higher ceiling there for both of those players. And I don't know that I would have loved to see either of them leave if I'm the Marlins. So I think it's really a, it works out for both teams type of thing. And you, you will, you'll miss him. And that's definitely been part of it for the fan base. I mean, the twins are holding their um, community twins fest this weekend, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of questions for the front office or, the owners and whatever about, you know, how could you trade Luis Arise? He's a fan favorite, all that kind of stuff. But realistically, the the Twins had fan favorites and they've had guys that fans get behind last year and you didn't have a winning record. You had worst attendance in over a decade. Like it's got to be about winning. And so if that's how you view your roster construction being a little bit better, you explore that route. And the last thing on this, a big motivation for the reason why Pablo was available in the first place is because he was the one that was closest to free agency. And of all these pitchers, there was pretty clear uh, understanding that they were not going to extend his deal. And at this point, waiting any longer would only diminish his value. So the Twins get two full years out of it. The Marlins really under no circumstances were going to pay market value to extend him deep into his 20s and into his 30s. I'm curious whether the Twins are in that same camp. Are I, I noticed that they have a few guys in their rotation that could be free agents after this upcoming year. And so although Pablo had that extra value for having 2024 as well, do you think that between now and a couple of years from now that the Twins will extend him deep into his career? Uh, they certainly have more payroll flexibility than the Marlins typically have, and they have – probably not quite as much starting pitching coming up behind it in terms of depth. Yeah, I think that's interesting because the Twins could be in a spot where they lose as many as I believe it's three starters um, this offseason or at the end of the season to free agency. I believe Sonny Gray is a free agent. I know Kenta Maeda will be a free agent. Um, I want to say there's one more, but I I can't remember. Um, But I, I think Lopez and Tyler Molly are probably my two favorite candidates for them to extend um, going forward. Molly obviously depends on health this year. You want to see him pitch a full season. Same with Lopez. Lopez has dealt with health issues previously. Um, But yeah, I think there's an opportunity when you don't necessarily have the ability to bring in frontline pitchers through free agency, whether that's because of, lacking dollars or locality and being cold in the early year or whatever it is, I think there's a a benefit to being able to negotiate with your own guys. It's the only reason that the twins were able to sign Byron Buxton to a hundred million dollar deal before he got to the open market. I mean, he, he would have got substantially more than that, whether he was healthy or not, but because they were able to negotiate it with him first and get that deal done, it's something that they've used to their advantage. They did just extend Chris Paddock um, for three years earlier, I believe last week, actually. So he's rehabbing from Tommy John at this point, but should be back late this season. And then they'll have him for two more. But I think you could build a rotation around, you know, Paddock, Molly, Lopez, and then whatever of your top prospects are, are up and coming and left and whatnot. Yeah, we'll have to find out. I I don't think we have touched on it during this pod, but Pablo on a personal level was 
he couldn't be he couldn't score any higher in terms of makeup and in terms of relationships that he's built not just with players and not just with fans but even with media members as well uh he's he's a personal favorite so although we've seen this coming for a while uh whispers about it going back probably a whole year and certainly felt like it was possible he'd be gone at the previous trade deadline we've been preparing for it in a while but it still hurts uh nonetheless to have him go and so hopefully a rise will perform in a way that um allows us to feel at peace with the fact that he gave up such an important piece of, of Marlon's culture over the last half decade or so. I think that's I think that's a very cool thing too from both perspectives is that you're dealing people that have that background. It's one thing just to deal major league assets or players or whatever, but in hearing both of their press conferences and the way that people talk about them, it's it's very cool for both fan bases to genuinely get good people and it seems like Luis is all on board with I'm going to embrace being a Marlin and I want to be here and that kind of thing too so very very cool for both of them well the the fan base is already as as painful as it was to lose Pablo the fact that Arias just does everything that their offense last year was unable to do um he's he's earned the benefit of the doubt for quite a while he's gonna have a long leash in order to prove himself as the kind of type of player that they needed near the top of their lineup. So again, thank you to Ted Swetzler from Twids Daily. You can find his writing on twidsdaily.com. You can follow him on Twitter at the account on here, T-L-S-C-H-W-E-R-Z. And you can find me at Real Eli and at Fish Reps as well here on the official show. So if you're watching this on YouTube, thanks for subscribing over there. But you can also listen to this wherever our pods are available here at Fish Stripes. As we are getting so close, we're getting so close to the start of this season. As you mentioned, the Twins are already doing some of their fan activations, and Marlins Fan Fest is now um, only about two and a half weeks away as well. So really fired up. Um, it had been very frustrating offseason leading up to this. Uh, the Marlins in particular were kind of dragging their feet to get something done, and now that they have, um, there's a whole new level of enthusiasm. Thank you so much, Ted, for allowing us to break this down with you. Thanks for having me on.